The monster I kill every day is the monster of realism. The monster who attacks me every day is destruction. Out of the duel comes the transformation. I turn destruction into creation over and over again. Hello and a very warm welcome to A Rational Truth. This is season one, episode three. My name is Adele and I'm your host for today. Our opening quote was by Anais Nin. Anais Nin was a French-born novelist, passionate eroticist, and short story writer who gained international fame with her journals. She was writing from 1931 to 1974, and the journals give an account of one woman's voyage of self-discovery. So today's topic is realism, and as always, you can find the accompanying blog post, links to videos, links to further reading, articles, books, etc. on our website, www.irrationaltruth.com. So you may have heard the philosophical question, which goes something like this. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? So the concept behind this type of question is about the true reality of something existing outside of our human perception. So let's go through a few points about realism. So in simple terms, you can think about realism as being about the reality of something existing separate from any independent views of it. It can be described as a way of thinking about what is true and real. Sometimes in philosophy, realism is also referred to as objectivism. This is because it deals with the objective, factual nature of the physical world. Now, if we think about classical realism, this really dates back to the ideas of Aristotle. And it refers to matter as being real. Matter being a tangible something that is independent from perception. Aristotle believed in a true reality and things existing, whether as human beings we perceived them or not. Now, realism can focus on an accurate account or an accurate observation of the world. This could be a person, a place, an item. And those accounts are totally detached from the personal opinion of the author. Now, in literary realism, there's a whole genre which has tried to embody the truthfulness of a subject, and it avoids abstract or speculative concepts. Literary realism speaks to describe the topic as clearly and as true to the reality as possible. Literary realism avoids embellishment. Now, if we think about realism in the arts, there will be attempts by the artist to present natural representations. And this was a move away from idealism and romanticism. So artists such as Gustave Courbet, 
They depicted scenes of everyday, ordinary life. They showed realistic scenes of war, poverty, and tried to document accurately historical events. 19th century realism was a move away from the earlier romanticism. And Corbett was the first artist to, and I quote, self-consciously proclaim and practice realist aesthetics. In the 19th century, with the advancement of photography as a means to capture accurate depictions of real life, and with the advent of professional journalism as a means to record events, aspects of realism really did begin to encroach on everyday citizens' lives. Now, if we turn to political philosophy for a moment, realism looks at the ways in which international systems interact without a centralised political authority. Now, from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Julian Korab Korporitz writes this. Realism, as known as political realism, is a view of international politics that stresses its competitive and conflictual side. It is usually contrasted with idealism or liberalism, which tends to emphasise cooperation. Realists consider the principal actors in the international arena to be states, which are concerned with their own security, act in pursuit of their own national interests, and then struggle for power. The negative side of the realist emphasis on power and self-interest is often their scepticism regarding the relevance of ethical norms to relations among states. National politics is the realm of authority and law, whereas international politics, they sometimes claim, is a sphere without justice, characterised by active or potential conflict among states. Now, if you think about the European Union, just for a moment, as a collection of 27 member states, where they have tried in their project to bring together shared interests, to promote freedom of movement of people, movement of trade, tariff-free trading, and many other concepts. So this is an example of where individual member states have surrendered their individual rights in pursuit of a collective objective. Now let's have a little look at the term anti-realism. This was popularised by Michael Dummett. Uh, now he lived from 1925 to 2011. He was quite an influential British philosopher for that time. And his, roof, his philosophical reputation his philosophical reputation is based partly on his studies of the history of analytical philosophy and partly on his own contribution to the philosophical study of logic, language, mathematics and metaphysics. And as he popularised the term anti-realism, he was looking at other philosophical arguments such as nominalism, idealism, and phenomenalism. Anti-realism is the position that denies the objective reality of things. In the 19th century, anti-realists in the arts movement created, and I quote, various kinds of fantasy in order to free imagination from rational scepticism 
and diminish the reality principles hold on narrative. Now that's a quote from Robert Higby, who was a literary critic. So an opposing position to realism is eliminativism. And this is where believers suggest that just getting rid of an idea or a concept is the best way forwards. Eliminativism is the theory that people's common sense understanding of the mind is false and that certain classes of mental states that most people believe in do not exist. There's quite a few interesting points there in those last few paragraphs. Really, a lot of things to get you thinking about what is your understanding of reality. Does reality exist? What is reality? Now, these are very, very big philosophical questions. And they were really particularly troubling to Descartes in the 17th century, who, after much contemplation, proclaimed, I think, therefore I am. And he'd very much come to that conclusion as he realised that he was a conscious being. And on realising he was a conscious being, he realised he was thinking. And therefore, if he was thinking, he must exist. And if he exists, he must be real. Now, if we look at The Matrix, the 1999 film starring Keanu Reeves, the characters in that film were in a permanent state of stasis. And they were hooked up to the matrix via the various wires and electronics. And they were being fed a false reality into their minds. And it wasn't until there was a glitch in the matrix that the true reality of their situation was revealed to them. And their reality changed. Now let's think about art. Realism in art requires the understanding of reality and the ability to control abstraction to then go on to produce other visual representations. So what do we mean by that? Well, it means that really artists have to understand the reality before them. They really have to learn to paint traditionally, sketch traditionally, understand the proportions, the general accepted realistic portraits and landscapes the ones that are almost photographic and then should they choose to go on and skew those in some way they become abstract they're an interpretation but the artist that is truly successful is someone who can actually really paint the realistic representation in the first place and then transform that into the abstraction. In the theatre, realism tries to bring an accuracy of the performances closer to real life situations. And maybe even more so in television, where we have this term reality TV, where we see people being followed in their real life activities. However, reality TV is a little bit misleading. So a documentary aims to be factual, aims to tell the truth, the true reality. Reality TV, as popularised in the late 1990s onwards, 
has been a lot more about taking real people from their real life situations and then adding a little bit of drama, a little bit of scripting, and sometimes uh, scenarios that maybe have been created for the purposes of entertainment. However, the basis of the people in the reality TV shows is the fact that they are real, ordinary people. So we think about things such as Love Island or Big Brother or popular TV shows such as those where they are real people. However, we understand that the performances that some of those people give in those situations are maybe the not exactly the same as they would give if they were not being followed by a TV camera. So on to something a little bit more serious now, realism in international relations, as that very large quote that I read out uh, re refers to. Um, it recognises the power of the sovereign state and it recognises that national security is of a prime importance. And it also understands how military power matters in the increase in the international world. In the subject of ethics, we tend to think about moral facts and what is considered right or wrong. Now, is that what you consider right or wrong? Is it what I consider right or wrong? Or is it a communal view of right or wrong? Do we all have the same understanding? Let us think about something as terrible as murder. Does everyone have that same view that murder is wrong? Are there people there? Are there people in the world today that believe murder could be right? Is that unconditional or only in certain circumstances? And where do these moral facts belong? Do they belong to reality? We talked earlier about realism dealing with irrefutable facts, something you can see, something you can touch, something you can quantify without question. And everyone could quantify the same without question. But a moral fact is a fact about an ethic. It does not have a physical presence. You can't physically see the moral fact. You can see evidence of when that moral fact is demonstrated. But the fact itself, whether you believe murder is right or wrong, doesn't have a physical presence. You can't see that. You can only see the impact of a murder when you see the victim, when you see the family, when you see the police investigation or the legal proceedings. So how do you know they exist? Why do we rely on them if we can't actually see them? And let's think about mathematics. Does a number really exist? We can't see numbers. We can't touch numbers. We can only count the number of things, the number of apples, the number of oranges before you. But you can't actually see or touch the number itself. So why are numbers so important? If you can't see them, if you can't touch them, but numbers form the absolute basis of mathematical calculations, quantifying everything that we do, time is based with mathematics, dates. Many, many things 
are rooted in that true reality of numbers. And what about in our personal lives? Optimists may be the glass half full type and pessimists, they may be the glass half empty type. But what is the realist? Well, the realist is probably seeing it for what it is, a glass of water. Not in a negative or positive stance, just the fact that it is a glass of water. And they see life for what it really is. There's no negative or positive influence. It could be said that realists are better equipped to deal with everyday situations. Maybe you agree with that. They don't dress it up or down. They don't wish it to be something else or wish it to be something it could be or couldn't be. They just see the situation and then maybe take an appropriate course of action based on the facts that they see in front of them. Maybe there's no emotional decision making involved. So are you a realist? Do you know what is actually true and real in this world? Have you ever thought about your reality? We hear, especially in 2022, in popular culture, we hear the words, your reality, your truth. But is it not the truth or the reality? How can your truth be different to my truth? How can your reality be different to my reality? And do you believe that this world exists as substance and matter? Or do you believe the world around you is a construct of your mind? Is it when you go to sleep that your dreams are actually your reality? And what you think is your conscious reality is really a construct? Well, we're getting into some really, really deep subject matter. So I'm going to summarise now and leave you with one final quote. But before I do so, do not forget to visit the website www.irrationaltruth.com. You can see the blog post which is associated with this podcast, and that is 10 things you need to know about realism and why. And there are multiple links to the people I've mentioned, for further reading. There's a book list to our bookshop on bookshop.org. And the quote I'm going to leave you with today is by George Orwell. Power is not a means, it is an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes the revolution in order to establish the dictatorship. The object of persecution is persecution. The object of torture is torture. And the object of power is power. Thank you so much for listening today. My name is Adele and you have been listening to a Rational Truth podcast and we hope to see you again soon. Bye bye. 